Well, this morning we're going to look at John's letter to the early church. And so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 1 John, and we're going to begin at chapter 1 and verse 1. So these are the words that John wrote. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of our Lord. The lies and deceit of false teachers in the early church were putting the church in jeopardy with regard, with regard to its fellowship, not only with God, but amongst itself. It was putting the church in jeopardy and putting it away from the apostles' teaching. And the particular issue that John was dealing with, the false teaching when he wrote this letter, was that Jesus wasn't really the God-man. That Jesus somehow may just have appeared and he looked like a man, but he wasn't really a man. 
And the other one was that, in fact, Jesus was just that, a man. And somehow, when this man got baptised, um, Jesus came upon him in some way. And then when this man got crucified, Jesus left him. And this was kind of, we would call it heresy now, but it was pulling the church apart. And so John wrote his letter to try and overcome this false teaching. The issues have changed, but 2,000 years later, the church still has many false teachers pulling it in different directions, teaching a counterfeit Christianity. Back in 2002, the Telegraph reported, for example, that one in four Church of England clergy people didn't believe in the virgin birth. Stumble, stumble. Which isn't too far adrift from the issues that John was dealing with. The fact that people couldn't understand how this man Jesus had been there from eternity in heaven and come to earth. And like we would respond to those 25% of clergy that don't believe in the virgin birth, John responded to his false teachers of his day by saying Jesus did exist from the beginning, that he, John, and the other apostles had seen him, touched him, and really knew about him or were speaking from first-hand experience, and they were convinced that Jesus had come from heaven to earth. And Jesus, sorry, John referred to Jesus as the word of life. Not a sort of straightforward term. And by word, he refers to the way God the Father has communicated with us. He talks about how God has revealed himself to humanity he talks about the truly expressive way that Jesus showed the invisible Father. And life talks about quality of life as well as quantity. Jesus lived as the perfect human being could live, but also that life is eternal. So bound up in that word of life is something about God being shown to be what he truly is like through this perfect human being and all the promises and benefits that go with that. What John is saying is to have heard this God-man was in fact to have heard God speaking. To have seen him in action was to see God in action. Because 
God the Son and God the Father are so absolutely united. You see one, you see the other. You hear one, you hear the other. And if you think about this, it's really mind-blowing stuff. I mean, I don't know how you imagine Jesus to have been when he was in heaven, along with the Father, at the beginning of creation. But somehow he came from that state to living on earth, and then, you know, his ascension into heaven again. It is mind-blowing stuff. And we have to be honest, it's a bit of a mystery how it all happened. But we do have to accept that it did happen. When John first met Jesus, he was a young fisherman. He was probably pretty much the youngest of all the apostles. He certainly lived the longest. And because of what he saw and heard, along with the other apostles in Christ, he was just at great pains for everybody in the church to have a relationship with God through Christ just as he had. The word that he used was fellowship. He wants every Christian to have fellowship with God the Father and with Christ. Now, fellowship is a a strange word. And when we think of fellowship, we probably think more of uh, coffee and chat than what it actually is. Now, the actual words that John used for fellowship, the one that we're thinking about today, has two key aspects to it. One is relationship, and the other is partnership. Relationship and partnership. As far as relationship is concerned, John saw that the Christian fellowship is about sharing a common life together. A common life together with other Christians. And the reason it's that is because other Christians are God's children. So God's the sort of unity, but because he's our father, then we have that in common. In fact, we're brothers and sisters united in the same father. But it's one thing to call yourself a child of God and another thing, perhaps, to be one. Just, for example, it's so easy to say, well, I'm a Christian, as lots of people probably wrote on the census, that it's probably debatable whether they're a Christian or not. So a Christian, a child of God, is someone who has been born into his family by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, born from above or born again. Born into his family by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And as I've said, such Christians are related to each other as brothers and sisters. Now here's a thing you may not have realised, there is only one fellowship 
And that fellowship includes all believers, as I've just defined them, throughout all ages. So in other words, we're in fellowship, we're sharing that fellowship with the apostles, with the current church, and with all those in between. I think in the old book of Common Prayer, they used to talk about the church militant, i.e. the church alive and active on earth, and the church triumphant, uh, those who had passed on. But they grasp the picture that there is one fellowship, although it may be in different states. And it stands to reason because one fellowship, one body of Christ. And this is kind of key for us, the body of Christ. Because we're used to, well, a lot of churches actually call themselves, you know, like, I don't know, say the Newport Fellowship or the Porchfield Fellowship or the Cows Fellowship. But there is only one ultimate fellowship, and that's the whole body of Christ. That's relationship. So relationship, because God is our Father to him and to the Godhead through Christ, and relationship with each other because we're God's children. Partnership. Christian fellowship isn't just so the body of Christ can come together and have coffee and biscuits. Although I must admit that um, two or three years back, I used to meet with somebody in Marks and Spencer's and um, we had a sort of common aim going at the time, and we used to have coffee and a nice ice spicy bun and talk about God, and it was great fellowship because it was building us up and we were trying to achieve something. But Christian fellowship is about partnering, partnering together with other people, with other Christians, to carry on Jesus' mission on earth. And that's the key to it. And somehow, we've got to turn the whole business of what church is about to be what God wanted his body to be. Jesus went to the synagogues and he preached. And he spoke. And he did things that upset people because, you know, he healed people on the Sabbath and so forth. He broke the rules and regulations. But the synagogues were not the pinnacle of his ministry at all. Most of what he did for God, his Father, and for God's kingdom, he did outside of the synagogue building. And that's kind of a message for the body of Christ today, that most of what we're going to do is going to be outside of the church building. In fact, if you take seriously what I'm saying about the body of Christ, it may be that we, during the week, we're working with Christians from other denominations or other churches, local churches, but all part of the body of Christ to achieve something in common. So, relationship and partnership. So, you're beginning to pick up now that 
our relationship of uh, grace with God and through Christ has profound implications for our daily living. And we come into some strange language now, perhaps again, that it's important if we have fellowship with God to walk in God's light and not to walk in darkness. And I remember when I was being um, sent around the circuit to see if I was able to be ordained or not, um, I had to see somebody, I've forgotten who now, in Portsmouth, and they asked me why I wanted to be a vicar, and I said, to bring God's light into the darkness of the church. And he said, you're the first person that's ever said that to me. Darkness and light are incompatible. And since God is pure light, then to to claim that you believe in God and to walk in darkness, in other words, to continue to sin, as John said, is to kid ourselves. But if we're honest, we all do that. None of us is sinless. So John, being human himself, knows all about that. So what does he suggest can be done? Those who fellowship with God are to be enlightened or will be enlightened or are enlightened by God the Holy Spirit concerning sin. When John, sorry, when Peter first preached that sermon um, on the day of Pentecost, he said, you know, something about the prophecy of Joel coming true when God's law would be written on people's hearts. So we kind of know instinctively as Christians when we're falling off the rails. But we also know that Jesus' blood cleansed us completely And through that, we've been brought into fellowship with God. That's how we've become children of God. So it's just a little extension to believe that that same blood frees us from the sin that constantly mars our relationship with God our Father. But if we refuse to admit that we really sin, then we're fooling ourselves. But the catch is that we may fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. And by refusing to admit our own sin, we're decreasing our relationship with God the Father, whether we like it or not. And if we do that, that results in poorer fellowship, not only with God, but with each other. And it means that his mission becomes less and less in our lives too. So we come back to this issue of sin or wrongdoing or rebellion against God, as some people call it, or missing the mark, as somehow impeding what we're here to do for God. 
So we need to, quite frequently, admit our sin for what it is, not to blame others, and then be determined perhaps not to do it again, or at least not so often. Because what we're trying to do is keep that fellowship, that relationship with the Father alive and real. So honestly confess your sins and then to the best of your ability determine not to repeat them. Because if we start to sin if we start to go against the Apostles' teaching, for example, then we're beginning to say that this book is a lie. And then we slip again into counterfeit Christianity. And recently there's been calls in, would you believe, at the General Synod of the Church of England to take out some of the parts of the scripture that go against certain progressive trends. Now whether that was done in tongue-in-cheek or not, but it shows a disregard for scripture. So beware the false teachers. As I say, John doesn't want us to sin, but he recognises that we do. And he came out with these words. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we're just scratching the beginning of John's argument today. He goes on for five chapters and we've only been looking really at the first one. But so far he's got to the place where he's saying, beware of the false teachers because they're going to lead you astray. It may sound very clever and I'm sure that those teachers were sincere in what they were thinking, but they were mistaken. So we have to be careful that we don't mislead people, that we stick to the teaching of the apostles. Walk in God's light. Because of the sun, we can see the world around us. We can see each other. We can see colours and so forth. And to walk in God's light is to see things perhaps a little bit more from God's perspective rather than the world's perspective. as his children, to take on more each day of his family likeness. And as we read the Gospels and we see how Christ revealed the invisible God, then we see what that family likeness is like. And of course to be open to the Holy Spirit because without him As Paul said, you're not even a Christian. 
co-partner with the rest of the body of Christ. Extend our horizons so that we can continue Jesus' mission in today's world. And the thing is, when we get to that bigger plane, it takes us out of our own small-minded agendas. That we're part of something bigger, something worldwide, and something that's gone down through history from the time of the apostles to now, and will continue until Jesus returns. So this is always difficult, particularly in a time where society teaches us about self-expression as being the goal. That we shouldn't do anything that doesn't express ourselves. You know, we should be different. We should do what makes us happy. We don't have to conform to anything else. But let's take our eyes off ourselves take our eyes off churchy things that we may better see who God is who he truly is and what he wants of us so that we can co-partner with him and our fellow Christians wherever they worship to impact our world for God's glory and God's kingdom Amen